Hi, it's Anissa and Kathy with Epic Lifestyles, and we are at the Whistler Museum today. Happy New Year, everyone, and we really appreciate you coming to our Epic Lifestyles blog, and we're so excited today because we had the chance to meet with Brad Nichols, who's the Executive Director at the Whistler Museum, and we're going to go through a few questions with him and share some of the history of Whistler with you. And welcome, Brad. Well, hello. <laughs> uh, so, how... <laughs> How'd you end up in Whistler? How's that? <laughs> oh, uh, well, I'm originally from Newfoundland. Uh, I ended up in Whistler. I had just finished uh, my university program, and I did uh, Heritage Resources at uh, Memorial University. Um, and I was a, kind of working at different museums throughout Canada, and uh, they had an internship here in 2011, uh, just a little post-Olympics, and then uh, came out and uh, eventually worked from being an internship. Then I was the archivist for a couple of years, and then I became the curator executive director. So a lot of us came for, I came for six weeks and then never left, so, yeah, <laughs> so you're kind of like that? I was supposed to come for three months, they extended for six, w worked in Ontario at a museum for a bit, and then uh, nine months later they hired me back full time. So. Oh, congratulations. And I, I happened to like biking and skiing a lot, so that works out. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And um, what are three of the most important things we should know about you, aside from being a skier and a mountain biker? What do you find from your time here since 2011 moving to Whistler and working with the historical aspect of Whistler, moving, you know, seeing people come into the resort? Do you find that they are finding... Um, the key things that brought you here, like skiing, mountain biking, and work. Do you find people share with you why they moved here as well? Like, do you f uh, get a lot of that? Yeah, uh, we get a lot of people kind of come in, and like we try, the, the big thing that we try to tell at the, the, the museum is kind of the, the narrative of like the pioneer lifestyle. And then in that kind of lifestyle, you know, was right up into the, well into the 1970s. A lot of patrons will kind of come to the museum and they'll kind of, um, We'll talk about what it was like to live here in the 60s and 70s and you know they didn't have electricity they were going to an outhouse so you know and that's not all that long ago so they were living a similar lifestyle you know i, I think we still have a few people doing that we, we, we <laughs> definitely still have a few uh, people doing that as well um but yeah no the people come again and they always talk fond fondly of that and kind of like that kind of like you know trying to do whatever you can to make to, to, to live here in whistler i mean that kind of has always been here since since the that earliest uh, settlers started yeah. coming here. What is work and what is play? Uh, well, work is you know talking to people at the that come into the museum. Play would be you know uh, I like photography. I mean I think Whistler is a hotbed for uh, for uh, photography and, um, and 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 video creation. Um, I think it's probably it's one of its most prominent art forms. So mm -hmm. it's really fun to get out and just kind of like shoot. And it's a very inspiring place to, to, to create. Like Have you that. entered one of the, there's a, what's the lo latest uh, photo, black and white photo, photo competition on the mountain? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yes. Check on Mountain FM. Okay. Yeah, there's a, a new, new photo contest up there. That's the great that. thing about, and I love all the action films that come to Whistler mm -hmm. and, and all the innovative photography shoots that are throughout the year. 
Um, and it gives the opportunity for that creativity, mm -hmm. as you say. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. One of the things I really like about the Whistler Museum project that was done prior to the Olympics was the Whistler YouTube video of wilderness to world class. I belong to an organization called the Mature Action Community here in Whistler, and we'll put up the website link. And they, the museum worked with that group and other government funding to create with a videographer the history of Whistler from some of the local residents and how it has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. And it was a really great project and we hope you take a chance to watch that before your visit to Whistler and, and sort of hearken back to what Whistler was really like. I started skiing here at five years old. So now we have a community of over 10,000 people and the mountain resort lifestyle is historically throughout all the Vale resorts areas and throughout the world, that mountain culture is so exciting to see continue with the new people that come. Well, here. it's the one thing that kind of ties everything that why people come to Whistler, that kind of like connection uh, to nature. I mean, it ties, you know, if you come here for photo like if you want to take photography and be inspired that way, or a painter, or, you know, or mountain biking, or hiking, or just being out like that kind of draw has it's been tied through all the narratives and all the stories mm -hmm. that uh, people tell about Whistler over the past hundred years. Mm -hmm. Well, I think part of coming here and visiting and then moving here is learning what I always call Whistler time. And I come from a farm community. We used to call it farm time. Mm -hmm. But when I used to come up and visit my brother, who's lived here for 15 years, he's always like, slow down, <laughs> chill out. Or I was volunteering at Cornucopia and the guy's like, it's 8.45. It says I can get in. I'm like, you're on Whistler time now. Just, just relax. You know the bus isn't here yet. Uh, well, it's a mountain. You know we we run with the mountain and how the mountain dictates the weather and what the safety is. And you know you got to stop, look, and listen to what's going on. And nature dictates even the mechanics of the mountain. So. And another really really great thing about um, Whistler is that you know in in living in kind of like these larger cities, if you the activities that you want to do. Uh, sometimes it's like you have to get home, you have to load up your car, you know, there's a turnaround time to do what you want to do. But in Whistler, you can kind of just, as soon as you want to do it, you can be doing it in 10, 15 minutes because all, all the access to all these things is within, oh, within yeah. you know, within walking distance. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things, like, get home from work, walk down to the dock, go swimming. Just like, instant. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> or walk down to the dock, as I did last weekend, go skating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Same dock different event and there was even bikes down on the skating rink and there was guys uh sailing on their skates like uh kiting kite oh, kate, nice. sky, kite skating well it was really interesting because i was reading in the whistler question the other day and and it's really wonderful all our local papers the whistler question in the peak magazine insert articles from the whistler museum with photography in there mm -hmm. and it showed myrtle phillips one of our oh, pioneers wow ice boating oh, yeah. on Alta Lake. How do you ice boat? Yeah, so they kind of like, they construct kind of a, like some form of vessel with a, with a uh, you know, a, a sail on it and they would use that and they would kind of use that to get across the lakes in the, in the winter. Oh, it looks like it had a wooden base, but yeah. we'll maybe post I the photo we'll of it. We'll have to post the article because it was really exciting to watch how we, our pioneers, Alec and Myrtle Phillips, really were the original sort of sports enthusiasts that adventurers. brought adventurers. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, that's what drew them here. I mean, they had this dream of only opening up a fishing lodge, and like when they first kind of came up here in 1911 and saw the area, they said, "This is where we want to be." So they ended up um, you know, finding some land to purchase, and then started the whole tourism kind of thing here in Whistler, and that was. Uh, Rainbow Lodge opened up in 1914, so it's been just just shy of 100 years. Yeah. Wow! And uh, you know the, why people kind of uh, started to come up here from Vancouver because Vancouver at this time was very the city was changing a lot. Um, it was very bustling, so it was it was a way for a lot of people in Vancouver to kind of to get away from that kind of um, which I think still continues today to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. Right. Well, one of the exciting things that we heard of in 2017 was the municipality of Whistler purchasing the Parkhurst lands mm-hmm. at the north end of Green Lake mm-hmm. uh, which is quite a wonderful parcel to now have as a future park for the community. It also has a lot of historical reference to the industry that was here with the logging mm-hmm. and milling of wood and it's going to be exciting for people visiting Whistler in the future to see the new Parkhurst Park (laughs) when it opens. Well, even the fact that you can walk over to it right now (laughs) was kind of interesting because part of of the magic of the ice is that if you catch it before it snows, because last year I missed it, right? And so that rush to get onto that ice before, like there is this week, there's a foot of powder on it. So getting out to the three lakes, Alta Lake, Nita Lake, and Green Lake, while there's still just that sheet of glass and that you can walk across, and still super thick and tested, but pretty amazing. It is, yeah, and I think that's a, a nice, I mean, that that's a great legacy project, I think, for the RMOW, and mm-hmm. it just opens up more possibilities of, you know, why people like to come here. Mm-hmm. And then, and, you know, they have the park area, which was uh, logging, I think, kind of, like stopped around so it was a whole community stopped around the mid 1960s interesting and also um, in the other corner is uh, Sioux Valley which is really well known for the uh, infamous Whistler Toad Hall photo so that is included in that area <laughs> do you have well. that photo in the museum somewhere we, we do yes <laughs> is, it its own, is it in its own room or uh, no no we have it on display okay yeah, it's, it's, it's for, for those who need to know come and ask we won't explain it no. you just have to see it <laughs> But it, it's come to kind of represent that kind of like um, free-spirited uh, attitude that uh, people living here in the 60s and 70s kind of uh, kind of look back fondly on. Oh, so. that's awesome. So if, is there something you would want other people to help you achieve or that you would want them to support? Other that they just come to the museum I mean, the or thing a special is, project? Is, is coming into the... Um, Coming into the museum, um, like telling telling your stories, and no matter how small, we always like to hear like, what was your experience? Maybe you came here in the summer of 1976. Come and tell us that. We're all we're always uh, we're always interested in that. Or maybe you have some old artifacts or anything related to uh, like mountain life uh, mm-hmm. in the area, or you know. I think I still have the cover of the. I think my brother was on the cover of the peak with this really old ratty car. <laughs> Everybody in town had written on it though, so it was kind of a historical piece. <laughs> so I mean, anything like that, and I mean, and there, there's certain areas that we're always looking for more information. Um, is is the, the mountain biking culture in Whistler because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like on the world stage now, and it Absolutely. really was a, a hotbed and an early an area that was very early developed uh, within that industry. So we're yeah. always trying to get more of that, and as well as. Um, and more on uh, on snowboarding. So these are things that like we're trying to fill in more gaps yeah. and get those stories and those narratives. Yeah. Well, I know I came and volunteered for one of the first Crankworks, and you could have fit the volunteer. I think there was twenty volunteers, yeah. <laughs> maybe fifty. You know that you saw, and now 
it's so huge. It's all over the world. It's 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 amazing how it's expanded and how it's you know made it an all season resort. And it started relatively as like a grassroots kind of thing here. And I mean, mountain biking is a really uh, good example of how the the culture in Whistler and the community really um, sets it apart from from some other areas um, uh, with a similar background. Is that 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 kind of was grown grassroots. Mm-hmm. People were just were interested in mountain biking that were also interested in skiing and they went out and started creating trails and now we have we're the number one destination in the world for people to come mountain biking and that yeah. all kind of started from the community here, which well, is Well it's funny I actually took a picture of a girl putting her bus on the bike on the bus even just yesterday. Yeah, which is kinda go. cool. <laughs> so if uh, you could pick one book that everyone should read in twenty eighteen, what would it be? Ooh. Um well, uh, we do have the first tracks book here at the museum that we, we publish, and it kind of tells on the uh, earlier uh, history of, uh, of Whistler uh, till pre-ski, so pre-1965, uh, and more kind of like, um, so like with the arrival of uh, Myrtle in 1911. So prior to that, it was mostly trappers, and kind of tells all the story of all the logging and all the other industries that we've, we've had over here in the early part of the 20th century. So if you're interested in Whistler's history, it's a... It's a great read. <laughs> That's cool. It's really a, a great, uh, great thing though to have that documented in a book. Mm-hmm. So called First Tracks. First Tracks, yeah. It was written by uh, Florence Peterson, who oh. was the um, who started the museum uh, after uh, kind of promising Myrtle Phillip uh, that she would continue on to tell the stories so it wouldn't be lost of the early pioneers here in Whistler. So aside from your work in mountain biking and skiing, what's one of your favorite secret tips about living in Whistler? What, what, Ooh. or your favorite thing? Maybe it's a delicious dessert bar somewhere. Oh, interesting. Um, well, I, I did recently um, try to find the hottest hot wings in Whistler. So I was <laughs> going around to all the restaurants and trying to find the hottest and uh, I would have to say that the hottest wings in Whistler are at Dusty's. Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And second place would be three below. Three below. Okay, we'll have to yeah. try them out. We'll <laughs> um, is there a product that you are rarely without? We have, we have, we've, we've been doing this one for a while, and it almost is always the same, but I'm going to hope that you have something different. Oh, a product that I couldn't Product, make? item that you never leave the house without Ooh. in Whistler. You're dope. I would probably say in the winter I would say my scarf. I always, ah, I always, excellent. I always wear a scarf when I'm. Does make a difference. Out and about. Yes. Cool. <laughs> so you know, because you don't want your neck being cold. No. It's, it's a great way to well, keep warm. I used yeah. to have a pharmacist. He would wear a scarf all year round, mm-hmm. and I, I thought, you know what? I think he knows something more than me about uh, health, and so I, I kind of took a hint from that as well. <laughs> <clears throat> so what you're doing now at the Whistler Museum yep. is really exciting. And I know you're always planning ahead for the future. So from in 10 to 20 years from now, mm-hmm. where do you vision the Whistler Museum going? Uh, do you have sort of a, something you could share with our um, listeners? I, I definitely, I would like to be, uh, or we, I think we'd like to see the museum become kind of a major center for kind of like mountain culture, not necessarily um, just the Whistler area, but kind of like mountain culture in general and being kind of a, a major center for that would be really great. As well as having um, um, potentially a, a new facility that we can help. Um, sorry for the pause. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Develop? Or... Uh, 
help maintain all the artifacts and archives that we have for future generations. Because when we take things in, we put them in environments that isn't necessarily for the next 25 years. We're, we're trying to preserve these things so people in 350 years can, can look back and see what life was like here in Whistler mm -hmm. or in this area as well. So hopefully that, that, uh, a facility that could help propel that to the future. Wow, that's pretty exciting. That's a really exciting goal. And also you do a series of speaking uh, engagements yeah, as well uh, to keep the history alive. Yeah, in the, in the winters we run our, um, our speaker series. Um, and so, you know, we have various people talk on, on different topics. Um, uh, this month we have, um, we're talking about uh, the Rainbow Ski Hill, which is in the, the Rainbow neighborhood. There used to be a ski hill, which yeah, a lot of people in uh, Whistler used to, that's where they learned how to ski. Yeah, my landlord kind of actually, a, Martin, he so, uh, and, and a lot of the, um, the roads in that area are named after stuff that was late, so there's, you know, tope row, uh, um, tow rope lane. Yep. And, and other things like that. Because there used to be a tow rope yeah, on yeah. it. So, yeah, kind of speaking of that, and I think uh, we, we do one of those once a month, and then we have other ones coming up. Uh, we also run a mountain bike heritage week in May as well, kind of celebrating uh, mountain bike culture with an emphasis on kind of Whistler. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wonderful. And I would imagine on July the 1st, Canada Day, do you do things oh, yeah. here at the museum? Uh, every Canada Day, we participate in the Canada Day Parade. And uh, yeah, we always try to do uh, a pretty good take on the theme every year. Mm -hmm. um, in certain years, we've one year we uh, replicated the Toad Hall uh, photo. So, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> so everyone at the, that was working at the museum was wearing uh, a nude suit. <laughs> and, then, and a fig leaf? And uh, no, uh, we had a uh, out of bounds ski signs. Uh, oh, what fun! Uh, that's yeah. cute. great. So. That's cute. Well, like we've it. we've really enjoyed our conversation today here with Brad Nichols at the Whistler Museum, and we really encourage you to visit their website and come into the building in Whistler. And it's centrally located in the Whistler Village right now. And as they work towards their future building, he'll keep us posted on that. And to wrap up our conversation, Brad, we always ask our guests. Um, uh, what life hack uh, do you want to share with our listeners? So I'll start with it myself. Okay. And so one of the things about living in Whistler, especially in the winter season, is safety on the roads and keeping well lit at night because it, it does get, aside from the wonderful valley trail system that we can use that is lit, there are dark patches where people are driving by. So we really encourage those who are visiting Whistler to maybe look at bringing, in the winter, bringing treads for your boots so you're not slip sliding everywhere and also high visibility wraps around your arms mm -hmm. and so that the bus drivers can see you here Whistler mm -hmm. Transit needs to keep people safe and as the local drivers are out on the roads we want you to be highly visible and safe that's my life hack and Anissa what's yours okay well this one's gonna sound really obvious but you just reminded me of one of our last big snow dumps and this isn't so much a life hack it's just a survival thing don't snowboard on the road <laughs> I know it sounds dumb, but I've seen it. We've seen guys skating and snowboarding along the highway because they think they're being smart and cute. Um, but the traffic is already having a problem slipping and sliding. So as cute as it might be, and it might sound interesting, and there's lots of snow, don't snowboard or ski on the highway. That's, that, I know that sounds so, so simple, but you know, sometimes we need simple, simple advice. Um. I would kind of say it was something that my grandfather probably told me a long time ago. That I was probably like ten, and I don't even remember the context of where he said it. But it was it was relating to driving mm -hmm. and um, whatever whatever. So if you're going, you know, thirty kilometers an hour, be three car distance from the car ahead of you. If you're going a hundred, be about 
smart. Ten. So you kind of have, because in winter, sometimes if you need to put the brakes on, you know, you're going to have to have a little bit of uh, margin for error. So I think okay, that well, would be Well, I'm going to be hack. really specific about that life hack. If you're going past the Nordic exit <laughs> on Highway 99, give 10 paces on your car. Because in the winter, there is always an icy spot where the water collects. So, <laughs> Kathy, you want to close us out here? Well, thank you so much, Brad, for your, our conversation today. And we wish you all the best in 2018. And we'll be really watching the Whistler Museum speaker series and enjoying the history continuing here to live in Whistler. Awesome. Thank you. It's another uh, podcast from Epic Lifestyles. If you find, want to find more of our, our podcasts, you can find us at epiclifestyles.ca. And you can search us on Facebook and Twitter as well. And we look forward to seeing you next time.